Normally, it's been, you know, it's been about seven months now, and you're probably used to my rhythms of preaching, and so you're probably ready for a story. (laughs) However, this morning we're jumping right into the Word. So, uh, I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. I have a video to share at the end of the message that will wrap things together this morning, and so therefore... I felt like that was the direction the Lord was leading me in. We'll be studying this morning. We're going to continue our study in 1 Peter. We we started at 1 Peter 1.1, and we've been working our way through every week uh, through different chunks. And this morning we find ourselves in 1 Peter 4. Would you pray with me as we have the word open before us and, and asking the Lord to speak to us this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice in which you made for us, Lord. And Lord, as we have your word open before us, Lord, we, we simply ask that you would speak, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would reveal the truth in your word, Lord. But Lord, that you wouldn't just reveal what it says, but what we as your people ought to do with this word. Lord, just knowing about you isn't enough. Living for you is what you call us to. So Lord, as we have your word open, would you remove any distractions that might uh, have come in with us this morning? Would you remove any barriers that we might have that would keep us from hearing you this morning, from seeing you, from knowing you. Lord, we, we want to glorify you in your word, through your word, Lord. Lord, we, we give this portion of our service again to you that you might do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us read together. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 to 6. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I originally, this week, when I was looking at the word, I I originally had 7 through 11 planned. But as I sat with the scripture this week, I was like, man, that's just too much, <laughs> too much to try to unpack. 
And so the Lord lead, led me to condense it to just these first six verses here. And Peter starts out this section by saying, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And it leads me to the question, what does it mean to suffer in the flesh? What, is, what does uh, Peter mean here that Christ suffered in the flesh? Well, we know that, we know that Christ suffered physically in, in his flesh. We, we know that he was whipped and beaten and bruised and pierced and nailed to a cross. So we know that he suffered physically for us. This word suffered means to be acted upon in a certain way, either good or bad. To experience ill treatment. To experience a sensation or an, an impression, usually painful. And so while that is true that we can experience suffering physically, I think based on the context of the, the original word, we can see that we can experience those things mentally and emotionally as well. S certainly spiritually. The word flesh in scripture does mean body, but often means our human nature. So while Jesus suffered in the flesh in his body, he also suffered in his humanness as well, in his human nature. You might ask, well, where do we see that Jesus suffered in his humanness? Well, I was led to you know, the, the reality that, yes, Jesus suffered physically in his human body, and he underwent that physical suffering for us, but he also was tempted by the great tempter, and there's suffering there too. And so I was, I was reminded of when Jesus was baptized and led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tempted by Satan in Matthew 4. These are Satan's words. It says, to Jesus, if you are, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. To which Jesus says, you know, man will not live by bread alone, you know, but by the word of God. Satan tempts him again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And a third time, Satan tempts Jesus. He takes him to the temple top and overlooks Jerusalem. He says, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. In each of these temptations, Satan is attacking Jesus' soul with temptation to sin. Every soul has three primary, we, we talked about this when we talked about wives and husbands, every soul has three primary components of identity, acceptance, significance, and security. There it is. <laughs> acceptance, significance, and security. And these are, the, these are the very questions, even as little children, we grow up asking ourselves, am I safe? Security. Do I matter? Significance. Am I loved? Acceptance. Every soul is wired with these questions. And, and yes, we're, we're uniquely wired, and so some of us lean more heavily in one of those realms than others, but we're a blend of all three. And here we see that Satan, right out of the get-go, is attacking Jesus' soul with these temptations. 
if you are, that's identity, if you are the Son of God, are you truly accepted? If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Security. All these I will give you. Significance. Three different ways Satan attacks Jesus through temptation to sin, to fall into sin. We, we see all three times Jesus respond with the word of God and, and through faithfulness to God to rebuke Satan in those ways. But that isn't to say that through those temptations, Jesus didn't experience the things that we experience through temptation to sin. The temptation of sin is a struggle when it's before you. And there is suffering there. We also see as Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew 27, very similar attacks. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, oh, that sounds so familiar, doesn't it? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Others said that he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Jesus understood the attacks to our identity. The very thing that makes us a child of God, our souls. Jesus knew very well, intimately, the ploys of the enemy to attack that hidden part within each of us. And so when, it's, when Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as believers, most of us haven't suffered physically for our faith, but we certainly have suffered through temptation, emotionally. There are believers around the world that do suffer physically for their faith, but I think the common thread that we all, as believers, suffer is that battle between living life in the spirit and living life in the flesh. Peter says to arm yourself with the same way of thinking, having the same mind as Jesus is another way of saying that. And the reality is here is that Jesus understood the very real temptation to sin. Quite honestly, we, we think about Jesus being perfect and never sinning, but we, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but I know for me, I, I often forget the fact that he was even tempted to begin with. We, always, we, we know logically that Jesus was sinless and that he was the perfect sacrifice for us. But I think we overlook or we tend to forget that he was tempted in every single way that we are. And so he's not unfamiliar with what we struggle with, which should bring us comfort, knowing that we have a Savior who knows our struggles, knows our temptations. Another way of saying this is that Jesus had awareness to temptation. He had an awareness to sin in the world. And as believers, 
we are called to have this awareness too. You don't just give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden sin disappears in your life. If anything, it ramps up, especially with an awareness to it. The enemy prowls around like a lion, ready to devour those who are unprepared. So as believers, Peter is saying, have this mind, have this awareness among you. Arm yourselves. This is a military term, really, that this arm yourselves is, is to make ready, to equip, to put on the armor. Ephesians 6, 10 to, uh, 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Peter says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, ready yourself, arm yourself, put on the armor, but also have the same thinking that he did. Have the same mind. Be prepared. Have an awareness. Many believers, especially young in the faith, we, we get this idea that uh, by saying yes to Jesus, my life is good, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm going to skate freely through life. And we get caught off guard, and Satan comes in and attacks heavy and pulls us under into sin. And then because of the shame that we shouldn't be doing that, and we're aware that we shouldn't be doing that, because of the shame that comes from our sin, we hide ourselves which is Satan's ploy to begin with, to keep us away from God. And so Peter is making it a point to say, be aware that sin is at the door. Have the same mind of Jesus. He continues and he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. I'll admit, I, I, I sat with this passage of scripture, and I, I, what is this saying? Who has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Because the reality is, we know until Christ comes home, or, come, excuse me, Christ calls us home, or comes back again, we live in a body that is sinful and we're going to forever until that day that he calls us home or comes back again when we receive that glorified body, we're going to have to contend with the sin in our life. And so how can Peter say that those who have suffered in the flesh have stopped from sin, that they have seized from sinning? That can't be what he's saying. Well, I think in the context here, the idea is that once you have an awareness of sin, once you're aware that it's there, that there is this reality that we wrestle with, once there's an awareness, then there's an agreement. The next step is 
First step is awareness. Second step is agreement, right? That we agree with God about sin in our life. And once we agree with God about sin, something changes. Because as the believer who has surrendered their life to God through, through the blood of Christ, as a believer, when we sin, we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us who convicts us of that sin. And we physically feel it. Which causes some suffering. Again, he, he says that that word suffer is to experience ill treatment. Have you, as a believer, have you found yourself in a sin that has made you physically ill? I have. When we sin, the Holy Spirit who lives within us will convict us in many different ways. Sometimes it's mentally, sometimes it's emotionally, sometimes it's physical. And I think until we're able to experience what sin does to us, the ceasing is difficult to do. Romans 7, 21 to 25, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive of the law of sin that dwells in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh will serve the law of sin. Paul understood that until Christ calls us home, or comes back again, that the body that we live in, though spiritually made new through repentance and faith in Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, has a battle with sin, and oftentimes leaves us feeling battered and bruised. Paul's word says, wretched man that I am. That's harsh language. And I think the reality that both Paul and Peter are trying to convey here is that until the believer views their sin in this way, until it makes us sick, we will not have the desire to cease from sinning. And if we don't have the desire to stop sinning, we can't truly desire the will of God in our lives. He continues on. He says, For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Verses 3 and 4. Which begs the question, why are they surprised? 
Well, they're surprised because you once used to join them, and now you're not. They're surprised because you're not joining them the way you used to, because something's different. Which means that a transformation must take place in the life of the believer. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This word, transformed by the renewal of your mind, is the Greek word metanoia, which we get repentance from. Metanoia is a compound word. Metamorphosis, which we would see, uh, which we would understand with a caterpillar undergoing metamorphosis into a butterfly. And once undergone, that metamorphosis has no way of going back into becoming a caterpillar. Can't go back. Literally, can't go back. Noia, for metanoia, is our thinking, what we think about what we believe, what we have chosen to believe, our will, if you will. And so metanoia, which is this transformation word, is a transformable thought. We transform our thinking. We make up our mind about Jesus. We make up our mind that the old self is dead and the new self is alive. Only through Jesus. That's transformable power. That's the transformation that takes place. The reality is that we cannot live for God and continue to live the lifestyle of the world. Transformation hasn't taken place then. Those who claim to have Jesus in their life and do not look different are simply adding Jesus on top as an insurance policy. There's been no repentance. There's been no metanoia. Living in God's will looks different than the world. Even your old world. A reality for me, was when I started, when I gave my life to Christ as an 18-year-old, one of the first things that changed was my language. And my family noticed. And as I have given my life over and over to Jesus through this walk, there has been a palpable friction between my family, and myself at times because I'm not the same man I was growing up because I've been transformed. And sometimes those are hard realities. Those are hard relationships to allow to, to be changed it by. But even our old world will notice that something's different about us. And not because we're trying harder, not because we're being the good little boys and girls that we are supposed to be because of what the Bible teaches us, but because we've allowed Christ through the Holy Spirit to literally transform us from the inside out. 
Because those who have the Holy Spirit living within us, being transformed, being made new daily, when we find ourselves trying to live the old way, it makes us sick. Through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is his job. The reality is, is that your family and your old friends will not understand the transformation that has taken place in you. And as a result, the world will malign you. They'll attack you. They'll call names. They'll say, you used to do all this. What's wrong with you? You're no fun anymore. You will be ridiculed. You will be outcast. Sometimes the ones we love most in our life can hurt us the most through this transformation power. Did you know that in the Middle East, following Jesus could literally not just lose your life, but lose everything you know, your family, your housing, your job. By making the commitment to follow Jesus, there is a real sense of sacrifice. They give up everything, potentially even their lives, to follow Jesus. Why? Because following Jesus requires transformation, and the world will malign you. Peter goes, don't worry. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the same way God does. Verses 5 and 6. Which leads to the question, who is they? But they will give account, the ones who malign you, the world, the ones that see the difference in you and call you out for it, the non-believers of our world. We know that an unrepentant soul, an unregenerated soul, is dead. We only have life through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And so those who have not surrendered their life to Jesus spiritually are dead in their sin. And so when Peter says that they, these who are dead in their sin... Give account to him, Jesus, who is ready to judge living and dead. This is why the gospel was preached. This is why the gospel was preached. This is why we share the good news, the life that comes through the death and resurrection of Christ. It is because those who do not and have not been transformed and have not given their life to Jesus are dead in their sins. And only Jesus can breathe life into them again through the Holy Spirit. And this is why, the good news, uh, why we share the gospel as believers. Because only the good news of the gospel brings life to death. All people who truly repent and give their life to Jesus also die in the flesh. We talked about this a little bit last week but with baptism and baptism is just the symbol of what actually takes place in the soul 
when someone surrenders to Jesus, they die to their old self and they are brought back to life or brought into new life with the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit. And so I think Peter's doubling down here a little bit as well by saying that when a believer gives their life to Jesus, they die in the flesh. Their, their old man is dead and we've been made alive in the Spirit. We see that there in verse 6 where he says that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The reality is is that as believers, we're called to live transformed lives. We're we're, we're called to look different. We're called to, to look like Christ. Oftentimes, we let the sin hang around longer than it should. We let the sin in our life kind of hang out. Sometimes we'll make excuses that that's our connection to the old world so that we can share the gospel. Which is just a dirty trick from Satan himself. The reality is is that Christ calls us to live out our lives day in, day out in the transformed way through surrender to the Holy Spirit. And too many believers live in defeat by their sin because we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't see ourselves as able to go into a dying world and into a dark world and present the hope that lives within us, which is what Peter is talking about throughout 1 Peter here. In addition to that, he says Don't worry about the threats that come your way because you serve one who lives forever and you have life coming eternal. So don't worry about the things that are coming your way. You've already died to that world and you're alive and and made new. But the reality is every believer struggles to live this transformed life for one reason or another. I have a video that I'd like to share. This is by the skit guys again. This one, however, is not your laugh and feel good, although there are some comedic parts in there. Before we go to that video, I'm just going to pray, and then we can close the the sermon back there, guys, so you can stop the recording, because we don't want to record that. Lord... We thank you for your word. And yes, sometimes there are passages that are hard to wrap our heads around. But Lord, it is clear that uh, through the context of this letter that Peter wrote to those who were undergoing persecution and fleeing for their lives, Lord, that you are reminding us that our lives matter and how we live them matters because we are examples of who you are and who you've made us to be. And Lord, sometimes we get caught up in the fear of what this world can do or will do, what they think of, and it, and it halts that, transformable, uh, that transformative, uh, transformation that takes place in our soul. Lord, I pray that uh, today would be the start uh, of a new surrender to you, that we would learn how to yield and and recommit our lives to you so that you would continue to transform your people. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen.